0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. My next guest, Wendy Dio, I am so excited to have on the show. Wendy Dio is one of the first female managers in the testosterone-fueled world of heavy metal. One of the original founders of Los Angeles Women in Music and the motivating force behind Here and Aid Charity Project, which raised over three million dollars for African famine relief. She began managing her husband, Ronnie James Dio, called the Pavarotti of Heavy Metal by Jack Black. Wendy met in 1974, married in 1978, when Wendy reluctantly became his manager. We are going to talk all about that and so much more. Welcome, Wendy Dio. You're in my heart. I'm so happy to have you. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here. So exciting. So I want to just run right into this because... Man, so much has changed over, let's even say the last 20 years, let alone when you really started in the rock industry, which was very much a masculine industry. And that was back in 19, the 1979, right, is when you started to manage. To, Ronnie, just bring us back there, Wendy, and start. just give me so correct my history. Okay, I didn't manage Ronnie
1: until actually the 80s because I was just a wife before that. Um, I started managing him like in 1982 when he went out on his own in the Dio band. And myself and Sharon Osborne were the only, well she was Sharon Arden and became Sharon Osborne were yes. the only female managers at that time in a big man's
0: world and they did not want us there. Right. And I mean, Sharon, just to bring back some history to uh, Sharon Osborne, her dad worked in the industry, right? So didn't she follow in her dad's footsteps where you kind of came yellow-bellied, truly, well, I did have a music background in England. I worked as an
1: intern for Decca Records during my summer holidays. I worked for a booking agency in England, and I worked for several attorneys in the music business in contracts department. So I
0: did have a little background, but not not like Sharon, obviously. Right, with a with a history, a family history in in rock management, really. So so just to jump forward to the two of you, so were you comrades at the time, or are you competitors, being the two only? female rock managers at the time. How did that how did that play out for you girls?
1: Well Sharon and I have been friends for a long time before before we either of us were managers. We were we were friends.
0: Oh how interesting. So you knew Sharon Osborne anyone who doesn't know the background and history of Ronnie James Dio, I'm just going to tell you he was considered one of the greatest voices in heavy metal music. He was the front man for not one but three internationally successful bands, Rainbow, Black Sabbath, which is one of my favorites, and his own band Dio. Uh, He replaced Ozzy Osbourne, who was at the time known for ripping heads off bats, and Ronnie popularized the devil's horns in rock music, which is still one of the iconic symbols of rock music today, right? But he replaced Ozzy in Black Sabbath so you and Sharon were friends when that happened give us a little bit of tea on that Well, oh, absolutely Ronnie
1: and I used to go up to Sharon's house all the time and uh, to parties and so on and so forth and uh, she was one of the people I think she's probably the one that introduced Ronnie to Tony in the first
0: place Amazing. Isn't that interesting? Wow. That's a real piece of rock history right there. That is super cool. So how did you and Ronnie meet? Let's go there. Let's start from the really the beginning. Okay, so I
1: had come over to this country to America from England and I uh, was looking for a job and I worked at the Rainbow for a while as a waitress and Ronnie came in and because I had been known a lot of bands in England, um, it was I just knew a, a lot of them. When Richie came in, I knew his wife really well and they invited me to a party after, um, actually Ronnie had just joined Rainbow they had recorded their first album but they had not toured yet and and uh, So we went up to a party, and he followed me around. And I was said, "Well, he's a bit short for me," <laughs> um, but. And he continued following me around. We ended up having breakfast together um, with a whole bunch of people. And we went on a long drive and we spent some time together for about two weeks. And then he went on tour. And uh, he called me a couple of days into the tour and said, why don't you come and quit your job and join me? And I said, well, I won't quit my job, but I'll come for a couple of weeks. And I never went back.
0: <laughs> that's amazing i love that story so you started managing ronnie now tell me why were you reluctant what was the reluctancy in managing him was it working for your husband and something as simple as that or something deeper
1: a lot of things actually i was scared to death because he was a big star then i mean yeah. just coming back sabbath and also because of his wife and i got you know, everyone's, like, oh, it's just his wife. She doesn't know what she's doing. All those right. men would say, I'm sure they said it to Sharon too, but not quite as much for Sharon because she came from uh, her background with her father. Right. And I got it a oh, lot. You know, oh, it's just his wife, just his wife. So, you know, and I just smiled and and I would listen to what they had to say and say, oh, yes, absolutely, thank you, and just do what I wanted to do.
0: Absolutely. Use your common sense and your acumen that you had before you became a wife that you had um, started to, you know, compile in some of your experience. Now, women managers were really not common then. How did you manage amidst so much male domination? And I'm sure maybe maybe you leaned on Sharon, maybe you commiserated a little bit or talked about the real bad chauvinists.
1: <laughs> no, we didn't actually, because she went her way with Ozzy and I went my way with Ronnie. Yeah, and they were at that time. But um, no, I just uh, did what I thought was the right thing to do and went along with it. And I think women make very good managers. A lot of women managers now. Uh, in fact, I taught um, management in UCLA for a few uh, semesters and uh, women are just more they can multitask which men can't do a lot of times, they listen more, uh, they're more caring I think about what somebody, What my, and a lot of musicians are like children,
0: they just need to be helped and guided along the way, and, and that's what they look for. Very true. I mean, I think women are good at a lot of things, right? Once we're given the opportunity to show what we're made of, we have a lot of great assets, you know, what I mean, the female form. One of the things that Roddy was quoted as saying about you is I'd rather screw my manager than be screwed by them. <laughs> and I think that that's a really great saying. It's it's nice yeah. to keep business in the family.
1: I'm a control freak and Ronnie was a control freak. So we butt heads a lot of times. In fact, people would run out of the room when we started having an argument. Most of the time, I mean, we always worked for Ronnie's career and, and I never interfered with his music and he never interferes with my,
0: my business side of it. So I think that's why it worked. So you respected one another is basically what that came down to. You entrusted one another and you respected one another. Well, Ronnie
1: wanted me to manage, first of all, younger bands. uh, What I wanted to, to see if I could, what would happen before I took him on. So we went out and found some young bands, which I started to manage as well. Then he got a little bit jealous of the time I was spending with them Ah. as well. (laughs) And then there was a story where we went to Japan, and the the uh, band was opening for Ronnie Ruffcut, and uh, they were opening for Ronnie in Japan. And of course, Ronnie was staying in in a big hotel, and they were staying in a smaller hotel, and I. I was back and forth all the time and so on and we had flown out a very um a very well-known journalist from england to uh, report on the show well absolutely he had flown all the way from england to japan which is a long way and i thought that the tour manager from the rough cut band had uh, woken him up and uh, everyone thought i had woken him up and actually <laughs> he through the whole show and never saw him anything at all to buy the bed and I got I got absolute hell for that.
0: Oh my god that is so funny I just love it I love hearing those stories classic rock stories don't really belong on this podcast with you because Ronnie wasn't, quote unquote, that classic rock star like, you know, after performances, it wasn't like he was, you know, you have to worry about so much of him swinging off of chandeliers or drugging and partying and sleeping around all night. You guys really had a nice home life. It wasn't traditional rock and roll. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Not sex, drugs, and rock and roll, no, no. It was just a normal, Ronnie was a big star on stage. He was yeah. a very humble human being off of stage. He was a, a wonderful person, I really loved him. He could very intelligent. He could talk to anyone from eight to 80 about any subject that they was. He was a huge sports fan, loved animals. So my home life was mostly, you know, um, with the animals, him watching sports. Uh, he didn't like to go out too much because when he was home off the road, we used to have all our friends come over because we had a big, well, we still do, a big bar in the house, which we bought actually out of a pub from England. We brought it over from England and put it in the house. And it was something that we always had friends over, and I still continue to do that.
0: I love it. So not necessarily the quote unquote rock star lifestyle, but certainly a rock star with his own bar in his house. I I love that. That's amazing. So um, one of my favorite stories that you shared was about as a woman. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. Obviously, there are a lot more women in powerful positions than there were, you know, in the early 80s. Even myself working in the fashion industry, I'm now 51. So I definitely got a cuss being raised in the 70s and working through the 80s. You know, I definitely have still that, you know, glass ceiling and understanding how women were treated differently and all that stuff. But you were really a pioneer in it. And one of the stories that you tell is when you got billed for some chairs, and you basically say to the guy, if you're going to bill me for the chairs, then you better ship them to my house, right? So you can share that story if you would with the listeners, and and then if you would just expand a little bit on some of your uh, experience as a woman and and looking out as, as women today, what's some of the advice that you might you know lean in toward for a woman today based on your experience and what you know and how times are changing, but the barriers we still have to push through.
1: Well, my main thing about you know women management, especially managing rock bands, is to dress. Don't dress like the rock stars. Dress like you. If you want a million dollars, you better act like you look like you don't need it. So that's what I really used to teach a lot of things about. There's a lot of stuff you can learn along the way, and there's a lot of things you can't be taught. But that is one thing. Always look presentable. Um, You're a business person, and you're going to deal with record companies and publishing companies and promoters, and you want to look like – you don't want to look like with your chains and dog things or whatever else. you got to look like you a smart business person.
0: Right. Right, dress the part, act the part, be the part. You're not the rock star. You're the business person. The
1: story that we're talking about with Bill Graham is Bill Graham, who unfortunately passed away, and became a very good friend of mine after this incident. But Ronnie was playing the day on the green, and it was a, a big festival thing and a big thing, and we were the headliner. And afterwards, I did the box office receipts, and uh, there were like I don't know, twelve or twenty-four chairs or something being charged. And I said, well, uh, where are these chairs? Well, what do you want to know? Well, if I bought them, I want them. And it was like $1,200. And it wasn't the $1,200. It was the principle of the things mm-hmm. that I'm being charged with something. which I, okay, where are they? Well, you can't have them. And we went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. In the end, I said, you know what, Bill? I spent $1,200 on lunch. You obviously need it more than I do. So just keep it. Oh, no, no, no. You take it. You take it. You take it. Well, years later, I saw him and he said, you know, Wendy, you're very clever. That was reverse psychology and it worked on me.
0: That's so true. Your tenacity reminds me of Tina Knowles, one of my mentors, someone who I love dearly. She imparted some of that wisdom on me, tenacity, you know, looking the part, presenting yourself always that sort of thing. That's really interesting and great advice. I love that music has changed so much today. I mean, you're talking about, you know, checking the receipts at the box office like that's taken the door. You guys like back in the day, rock bands made their money off the door. And I mean, there's a big famous story about Led Zeppelin being robbed of their door. You know what I mean? And that's really how they made money. Now, the only way really musicians are really making money, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is really from touring. Tell me a little bit about the industry and how it's changed from the days of Black Sabbath and where we are today and what you're experiencing as those shifts and maybe some of the positive shifts as a woman that you're seeing.
1: Well, I think nowadays there are so many bands, so much competition, and it's a real shame for a lot of young bands because there are so much, so much competition. In our day, of course, there were only the not as many bands. That, you know, you've got in, in Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and a Deep Purple. Um, yeah. You know, Judas Priest, Metallica, Motorhead. Yeah. But you could, I you can name them. You know, on your yes. a thousand bands, yeah. and they're all vying for the same slot. And so it's much much harder for them. Um, although nowadays, of course, we used to have to uh, make the album in the recording studio and whatever. Now we've got Pro Tools, all the things that kids can make a record right away. They can actually sell it themselves on the internet, which is one way of making money, which is totally different. In our day, we had to—I mean, we had to do things like we didn't have the internet. What I used to do uh, was I would send uh, one of my interns with a bunch of posters and records and they will go out on tour two weeks before us and they will go to every radio station and every record store, make sure that the record store had the records in and posters up and invite them to the show, Uh, go to the radio stations, ask them what was going on, give them tickets for the show, things like that, that those are things you had to do to to bring in people because you didn't have the
0: internet. Out of all the bands in the world, it was a rock band that stood up against Napster. It was Metallica, right? It was a heavy metal band is what I mean to say. It was a heavy metal band, in fact, that turned their heads and say, this is not fair to the musician. And right. that was that was really, um, I think, so eye opening for so many. And now, I mean, I can't tell you the last time I bought an album. You know what I mean? Like everything is Spotify. Everything is downloaded that way. It's sharing music. It's sharing playlists. It's all that. And coming from the music industry myself, you know, it hurts my heart for the musician and the artist. And you're right. There are some like, you know, when Black Sabbath was, you know, in existence, there was no American Idol. You know what I mean? It really has changed everything so greatly that there's so much talent out there. But how do you really harness it? I do find that the metal fans are very, very loyal. They
1: don't like downloads. They like physical. They like to see it. They yeah. like to hold it. Vinyls came unbelievably turn around right now. It's like so popular as vinyl. I go pick out all the old vinyls I had there. I don't even have a record player anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's turning around and people yeah. are going back what they, the, the, you know, where they came from. The same yeah. as like the, the innovators of, of the heavy metal, you know, everybody, young bands are copying them. Young bands are playing their music. You've got so many tribute bands, which is great. It's it's wonderful that they're keeping the music and, you know, the, the music and, and the memories of these people alive.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think, that, I think it's back to basics when that pendulum swings so far that we kind of have to just get back to the basics. And I think that that's right. Hey small business leaders, how about some help setting up those sick leave policies or administering the ever more important harassment and discrimination prevention trainings that comply with state and local requirements? Well JustWorks is here to help. JustWorks is the ultimate HR platform for small and growing businesses. Take the guesswork out of managing employee benefits and figuring out state-by-state rules and compliance and get access to national large group health insurance plans, handle payroll and PTO requests. JustWorks makes it all simple. You can hire and onboard new employees with ease, manage your remote teams and run your small business with confidence. Find out how JustWorks can help your business by going to JustWorks.com. That's J-U-S-T-W-O-R-K-S.com For more information, JustWorks.com. They're there for your small business. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We get our cars tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road and annual checkups. And we hit the gym to maintain physical wellness. And we clean up around the house regularly to avoid a giant mess. Going to therapy is like all of this. Routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness to prevent bigger issues down the road. Therapy doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. You don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, and you don't have to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Why invest in everything else and not yourself? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and In My Heart listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash inmyheart. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash in my heart. Dipsy stories is an app that is full of sexy audio stories and new written stories. So no matter who you're into or what turns you on, Dipsy helps bring to life the stories you want to hear and write from your phone. Get lost in a world where your pleasure is your only priority. Explore your fantasies in a safe and shame-free way. There are hundreds of stories to choose from and Dipsy, they release new content every week. So there's always more to explore. They even have wellness sessions to help you wind down and explore and sleep sessions to help you drift off. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash inmyheart. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to d-i-p-s-e-a slash inmyheart. It's important to seek out pleasure in every area of your life. That's d-i-p-s-e-a slash inmyheart. Ronnie's memory you know what I mean the loss his loss I mean the the year he got diagnosed with cancer was the same year you lost him it was so much so quickly for you and I know that he was in the middle of writing his memoir and I know how painful that must have been for you to finally pick it back up which you did and and finish this story can you talk a little bit about that journey and what Ronnie set out to do and what you were able to complete for him
1: well, he started writing the book, I think it was like late eighties, early nineties but he he would it wasn 't anything you know that he was um rushing about he 'd write a couple of chapters handwritten, bring them into the office, the go would type them up, i'd uh, go on tour, and then he'd come back and write a bit more, and so on and that 's how he did it and he wrote uh, and I actually had a publishing deal for him before, while he was still alive when he was sick. Uh, He scribbled a lot of stuff and he also uh, would go on the computer and type bits and pieces that I want to remember to put in the book. He didn't think he was going to pass away. I I never, I my wildest dreams, I mean, three weeks before he passed away, he was picking up uh, an, an award uh, in, in L.A., and, and, you know, that was three weeks before he passed away, and I just thought he was going to beat it. We used to go to Houston every two weeks for his chemo, and uh, we used to skip down the hall saying we're going to kill the dragon, we're going to kill him the dragon, because one of his albums is called Killing the Dragon, and we called yeah. the cancer the dragon. So that was, you know, anyway, so... Uh, When he passed away, um, well, obviously, the publishing deal, I didn't want to deal with it or anything. It was way too soon. As the years went by, people kept asking me about the book because Ronnie had been talking about it. Uh, And I said, well, yeah, maybe we'll finish it one day. Maybe we'll finish it one day. And Mick Wall, who's a journalist from uh, England and also has many, many books behind him, uh, he was a great friend of Ronnie's and mine and, and had written to Ronnie many, many times. So he said, Wendy, you've got to get that book out. Yeah, but I need help. He said, I'll help. I said, okay. So we talked about it for a while, and then I decided that if we're going to put this book out of Ronnie's, I wanted it to continue in Ronnie's own words. Yeah. So we the scribbles that he'd done and we went and researched that. And then we went and we found all the interviews he'd done at those particular times that you in his life. And so we tried a lot of it to still continue in Ronnie's own words. And that's how we, how we uh, completed it. It's like 11 years now since he passed away. So yeah, um, I can't believe that. I
0: can't believe it's been 11 years already. 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take you to actually pick it back up and finish it? was probably in the last couple of years. So Rainbow in the Dark is the autobiography. That's what it's called, Rainbow in the Dark. And it's illustrated throughout with photographs. Oh, it's beautiful. I'm so glad I'm seeing the cover. There he is. I love him. Oh, my God. Amazing.
1: Where's the photographs? Going through the photographs, because I didn't want to have the normal stage shows and so on. I wanted some personal photos. And that, I think, was the hardest part, because I remember every single... Place we were at when those photos were taken and everything.
0: So, well, that is beautiful that you have those memories because a lot of the rock wives didn't even know what was happening there. And my, my, you know what I'm saying. I love autobiographies and I happen to love rock and roll and I happen to love music and those autobiographies of musicians. So Mm -hmm. I cannot wait to dig into this one from Eric Clapton's to Keith Richards to Fleetwood Max to everybody's autobiography of rock I have read. They all cross paths. You know, that time in music was so unbelievably important. All of those rock bands coming out of London, you know, the influence of, you know, the blues musicians, you know, here in the States, like that coming together of all that. There's every book has a story about how they interplayed, obviously, Ronnie and Ozzy's story. And it's all so cool. So I cannot wait to read it. And I got to tell you that my favorite part of those books are the personal photos that you guys share. So I'm so glad that you did that as painful as it was for you. You're bringing so much joy to share that with everybody. So I'm so glad that you did. Thank you. And I read uh, Rob
1: Halford from Judas Priest's book recently, and that was amazing because, well, for me, a lot of the places he talked about, I remember from my childhood, but also the heartwarming way of him coming out and having to tell people that and what he went through in life of not being able to admit that he was gay. And yeah. it was very, very touching for me. He's such a wonderful person and such a good friend. And I, I was, the book made me cry actually.
0: So inspirational really- to share the stories of the journeys of these people. I find that Patty Smith's book did that to me, just kids really talking about her honesty, you know what I mean? And her struggle, I think that they're huge. And those artists, you know, like Ronnie and you know, the ones that we're talking about, about that. Artism it comes from emotion. It comes from passion. It comes from heart. It comes from pain. It comes from struggle. And it's super cool that we're going to be able to, to get to read that. Now, not only is rainbow in the dark an autobiography, but there is also a career spanning documentary of the life and times of your husband, the legendary rock icon that he is, um, about Dio to be fully authorized by you. Right. And so have you been able to see any of that? Is it authorized Are you able to join in on it? Tell us a little bit about it. I'm definitely in on it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, I'm working with these guys from 914 Films and uh, great guys, uh, Don and Damien. And uh, Sheena, and um, they're just fantastic. I am having such a good time with them. And I saw the first cut of it uh, actually two weeks ago, and uh, I was there with my publicist, Sharon Weiss. It's financed by BMG Records, and yeah. uh, one of the people, Kathy from BMG, was there, and we watched it. I cried my eyes. I was I so. I I looked over, and Sharon's crying, and then Kathy from BMG is crying. It was. Very, very, very emotional, but very well done. Totally different to the book, completely different, because the book finishes in, in 86. This book goes uh, from the beginning right to the end. and it's oh, that's so good to know. Eddie Trunk and uh, Rob Halford, Glenn Hughes, all these have leader Ford, they're all talking about Ronnie and
0: telling their stories as well. So it's very, very interesting. Oh, my God. Lita Ford was one of my favorites. But first, I want to talk about Jack Black for a second. Can you tell us the story of how Jack and Ronnie had this mutual admiration for each other and how that relationship started? Well, it
1: started with um, Jack uh, tenaciously put out a song called Pass the Torch. And everybody was uh, saying it was about Ronnie and they were all afraid for Ronnie to listen to it cause they thought Jack was saying, ask the talk to So uh, I played it to Ronnie and he thought it was hysterical. He said, I love this guy. I got to get hold of this guy, whatever. So uh, we were doing an album and there was a song called Push in it. And Ronnie said, call Warner Brothers. I want, I want him in this video. So I called them and we set up the meeting with uh, Jack's management and Jack and Kyle came down and played buskers uh, in Ronnie's video. And they got on so well, so unbelievably well that then Jack, when he was doing uh, the Pick of Destiny, this movie, he caught up and said, I really want Ronnie in it. And he actually wrote this whole thing saying, you have to be in the movie. You have to play yourself and everything. So Ronnie did. And they had such a good time together. It was, it was amazing. And actually there's a bit in the documentary where Jack talks about it.
0: Oh, so, good. Uh, I mean, there's nobody quite as magical as Jack Black. So oh, Jack. diverse, so dynamically talented and entertaining. He's got an amazing voice. Amazing voice. Yeah. hmm So, Wendy, for those of you listening, like, I want her to manage me. She doesn't take on new clients, but I know you're never going to retire. You're still so passionate about it, and you're still so involved in it. So just tell us a little bit more about that, because when you do what you love, it's never work, right? It's only work if there's someplace else you'd rather be. So you've actually made a career out of a passion that you didn't even know you had.
1: (laughs) No, I have to keep Ronnie's music and his legend alive. So we do that in every way possible. We tie up with our charity as well. So we do the ride for Ronnie, which is a motorcycle ride, uh, usually on around Ronnie's passing, which is May sixteenth. Um, obviously, we couldn't do it last year, but um, yeah. we're hoping to do it next year. And it's about three hundred fifty motorcycles and Holly Davidson sponsors us and it's amazing because they close the freeway and they have the police motorcycle on the side and it's just amazing they come in and then we have this big uh it's like a family affair it, that starts in the morning and then we have a uh entertainment in the park with whoever's going to show up we never know because nobody gets paid so they all just come and volunteer and all the money goes to the the Ronnie Davidson of Stand Up and Shout Cancer Fund that's and amazing in the fall, we do a bolferon Money, which is celebrity bowling. Usually Jack plays and Tom Morello has his own ball. Um, <laughs> and so many people come. They've brought, or, or everyone you can think of who's in town comes and they do celebrity bowling. And we do this uh, auction where uh, anyone can bid on it and they can bowl with the celebrities. And, and it's a really fun evening, it makes money for the charity. We do that. And next year I have Dio Band going out um, in March. With uh, some special effects. It will be film of Ronnie and special effects. They go out. I think Warner Brothers is bringing out six more albums, uh, re-releasing them. And we have been in the vault looking for bonus material that people haven't heard before. I've got BMG bringing things out. I mean, it's never ending. <laughs> I love it. Other people that I'm busy doing, I manage A.Z Dunbar. I don't know if you know who he is, a very famous drummer, the yeah. most famous drummer, I think, played with everyone in the world. I'm doing a big publishing deal for him. And um, he's, uh, so he's writing a book, which I'm helping him with.
0: I want to say two things. I'm going to digress. First, what I want to say is, is, you know, death is so difficult for us, you know, as the living, even though it's a part of life. And we all know that death is as much a part of life as living. It's so final. And what you miss is that human form, that piece that you fell in love with, the touching and and being near him. But this is a perfect example of how once you know someone and the soul has lived, they never go anywhere. They may not be here in the human form, but you are celebrating and constantly still moving forward in your life with Ronnie may not physically be at your side, but he's right there at your side and all these memoirs and all the gifts that you're giving. So once someone's able to touch you in your life, whether they're with you physically or not, they never go anywhere. Yeah, I do. I feel a lot of times in the house, especially in the studio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's amazing. And then I wanted to say, so the first rock band that I ever really totally fell in love with, like I was like, I have got to be, you know, I'm going to be a roadie. I have to follow people was, was Zeppelin. So they were my first, you know, I fell in love with Zeppelin. I'm still to this day a fan. And I actually went on to tour with Robert Plant later in life. I got to know him later in life, which was such an amazing gift. I love you, rock and rollers, and I thank you for your memories and your continued legacy. Thank you so much for being on and sharing a little bit of your story and certainly that of Ronnie. So I like to ask everybody, we find freedom in all different ways and walks of life. And someday freedom could mean one thing to you and the next day it could mean something else. How do you find your freedom and continue to exercise that for yourself?
1: Oh, well, though, I love my charities. I love my charity work. I love to do things. I love the animals. I love to help the animals. Uh, we do a lot of stuff with the animals. Ronnie used to do it too. I go in a cage once a year, um, about 30 of us friends go in there uh at the Brittany foundation and we have to stay in the cage 24 hours it's a dollar a minute to get us out luckily i have a lot of friends so i'm usually drinking champagne and eating egg sandwiches outside trying to get the dogs adopted um and that's 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 i love to do that i love to do that um i work with uh freedom foundation which is um teaching kids about american history recognizing people uh, who've done something good for the world and honoring them there's different things i love people i love to talk to people i love to work with people and i just you know i i those are the things i love to do
0: I love it. And I've loved talking to you so much. I want to thank you so much. My guest, Wendy Dio, you are in my heart always. For those of my listeners who don't follow you already, where can they find you? Where can they lean into um, some of the things coming out on Ronnie? Just give us the four one one.
1: Just on the, on the site, Dio, it's just a site. Just go type in Ronnie James Dio, you'll come right to the site. And uh, we have Twitter and Instagram and all those things. I, I don't quite know how to do them myself, but I have people that do them. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Well, the legacy lives on and so does all the love. And thank you for being a pioneer and really setting the stage for women that have come after you and for continually leaning into the work and the charitable efforts and for sharing Ronnie with us continually. Thank you so much for having me, Wendy. You're in my heart.
1: Thank you so much for your support.